Let us, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of everything. Today, especially, we talk about the, the little things, the small things. Help me take your word and make it come alive in the eyes and ears of those who hear it. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us as we understand how important it is that we cover the little things in our lives with the power of your mighty name, that we might receive the strength to operate at the fullness of our potential that God has given us. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Most of the time, it is the little things. I mean, if we, if we had just a little more income, that would help us be satisfied with our finances. If it would be just a little more uninterrupted rest on Saturday morning, that would help us give us a better weekend. How come kids want to get up early on Saturday and sleep in on the weekdays? It's the little things. Sometimes in relationships, it's not taking the big trip. It's not going on the big dinner date. It's not the night out on the town. It's just the little things of a quiet, quality conversation that allows that relationship to stay strong and healthy. Sometimes what makes the major difference in life is not the huge effort, it's just the little things. Whenever you see an individual with talent using it for God's glory, or you see an athlete performing at the top of their game, what you are seeing is the individual who was willing to take the time to do the little things like practice. They're the ones that get to use their talents and gifts at the highest level. Believe me, when it comes to picking an expert for something important in life, we want to go to the people that do the little things well. When you're going for surgery, it's comforting to know that the doctor has a good track record and good reputation. Or you're looking for a lawyer to give you the best legal advice or you're looking for a counselor to help you through difficult situation, you're going to want to go to the guy or the gal who did the little things like study. Because it's the little things that seem to make a whole lot of difference in our lives. Well, when you read the Word of God, you find what an impact little things happen to have. Sometimes it's just a little baby in the basket that's just pulled into Pharaoh's house that makes a tremendous difference in the outcome of the nation. That day when Pharaoh's daughter reached out and she grabbed Moses from the Nile River, she had no idea what an impact that little thing would bring to the lives of others. It was a little thing that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in Bethlehem's manger that made a significant impact, not only in the 33 years in which he lived, but in the centuries later, because 
that night, the angels declared that Jesus Christ was born, given from heaven down to earth, seemed like a quiet little thing as the townspeople slept and the shepherds watched their flocks by night. But it has been the absolutely the greatest gift that God has ever given to man and indeed those who follow Jesus Christ well know exactly what a great difference Christ has made in their lives. It's the little things like a shepherd boy with a stone that can slay a giant. The point is, don't ever consider anything to be insignificant whenever God is the God of the universe. And he has promised, he has promised you that little is much when he's in it. Little things make a difference not only when it comes to your peace and your prosperity, but little things make a big difference when it comes to your relationship with God. Consider one bite of one piece of fruit. It was a little thing. Adam and Eve didn't eat every piece of fruit on that tree. They just took one bite, a little thing. And the Bible says, by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so all must die. It has been a problem for us ever since. In the Old Testament lesson, we hear the story of Elijah, the prophet of God, and the widow of Zarephath. Look at all the references to the little things. Bring me a little water. Bring me a morsel of bread. All she had, a handful of flour, a little oil, a couple of sticks. Elijah showed up when she had little food, little strength, and little hope. When she was planning her last meal for her and her son, and the prophet of Almighty God told her to first feed him and afterwards feed herself and her son. And God would provide for her until the rains would come again. And when God tells you to do something, he always provides you the strength and the means and the ability to do it. You have a God who knows the future and who controls the future. In the gospel lesson, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow put in two small copper coins which make a penny. She put in everything she had. Little, perhaps in our eyes, but great in God's eyes. Jesus taught in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if 
you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, the very little. Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, namely God's, who will give you property of your own in heaven? So let's talk about the little things, the small part of the service we call the offering and the handling of our worldly wealth. Since that's what the Bible readings are talking about, I have to teach you about it today. So, how are we doing as a church in this grace called stewardship? I mean, we see four men and women take the offering plates and gather them up every Sunday. But have we really any idea how that little act in the middle of the service helps fund all of this, yet somehow it does? We have grown to be a healthy church, at least that's how our sister congregations and our own church body see us. We are far from perfect, but we are holding our own in this day and age where many mainline and traditional churches are struggling. If you've been in church the last month, it's been pretty full. It's not always like that. You know that as well. We do have lots of children and young families, and that certainly is a sign of health. Lots of Bible studies, lots of activities, quite a few volunteers, and even a mission trip or two. So things look pretty good when we look at it as a whole. We have so much to be thankful for, and I believe we really are. We're enjoying much of God's grace. And all that you see happening in our church, I want you to know it is God's work, not ours. God saves people. God wrote the scriptures. God blesses his word. God gifts his people. God calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies his church on earth. Jesus was the one who said, I will build my church. We don't build the church. Jesus does. Jesus is the one who builds the church. And he's building our church. It's God's work. And guess what Jesus uses to build his church? He uses us. He uses the little things. He uses what we give back to him in our time, our talent, and our treasure. And that transitions us from God's work to our witness. Speaking of treasure, you can see from the bulletin announcements that we do have a deficit. This is where we are right now. And this will appear as though we have a financial problem. We don't have a financial problem. We have a heart problem. Not a wallet or a purse problem because Jesus said, where your treasure is, 
that's where your heart is. And what he's saying is your money goes to what you love the most. You give the most to what you love the most or to whom you love the most. So this is not a financial appeal. It is a worship appeal. God wants more than your money. He wants you. He wants all of you. And our God is a generous God, and he's a giving God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we want to be recipients of his grace and also stewards, managers of his grace. We want to be blessed by God, and we want to be a blessing to others. We want to receive and we also want to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. I told you, it's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So just like the widows in our Bible lessons, whatever God lays on your heart... That's what you are to give. And we want you to pray about it and we want you to plan for it and think purposely about it. Remember the widow's two copper coins and what Jesus said about her gift. And every time I hear that story read, I think about Jesus sitting there and watching what people put into the offering. And I cannot help but think, I wonder what Jesus thinks about my offering. Because that's what that lesson is teaching me. Well, here's what I do know. I believe that if everybody does what God tells them, then everything will be fine and we will have the money we need to do the things that we need to do to keep the gospel preached here and abroad in the years to come. I really believe that. We have leaders trying to lead and board directors trying to direct and volunteers all trying to serve. And I would ask you to pray that they don't get discouraged. We don't want them to feel alone in what they are doing. We want them to feel supported and encouraged in what they do. And one of the ways we do that is by participating alongside of them. And we can do that with our gifts. The poor widow of Zarephath could not preach the word of God, but she sustained Elijah, the prophet of God, who could. The poor widow in the gospel could not serve in the temple, but she supported those who were. And Jesus made sure the disciples understood the lesson.
She gave all she had. You see, the only fitting response to a God who provides all of our needs and then sacrifices his son so that we could be saved from sin, saved from eternal death, and live forever with him, the only fitting response to that is a life given and lived for him. You see, God doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. We manage our lives and all that we have to the glory of God. We call that stewardship. I will tell you a story. It's a tragic story. story about everybody, somebody, and nobody. There was a guy named everybody who thought somebody was going to take care of it. Nobody did. End of story. (laughs) Honestly, I think we're going to be okay at the end of this year because I, I do think that is, as in years past, you all have responded very well. You always have. But what I am concerned about is that you'll only start giving out of a sense of urgency. Oh, we've got to make the budget. Mm, No. And not out of a sense of worship. And when that happens, it means that some people see the church as a wife and others see her as a, maybe a girlfriend. What's the difference? Well, a girlfriend is nice to have and enjoy but never really an intention of getting married to. We want peace to be a beautifully loved bride of Christ because that's how the New Testament describes the church, the bride of Christ. And we want people to not just care about her when it's convenient for them or her, but to care about her because Christ died for her. Now, some might say, yeah, But how does the church spend its money? It's a great question. And we've got the annual reports. If you like to read, I got 25 years of annual reports. Or if you don't like to read, you can just ask questions and any of the leaders will be happy to answer them. Because we like to tell you how we spend the money here. We're very open about it. And I would just say, If you don't want to go to that much trouble, then get involved and look around what is happening. We can't report on everything that's going on. I can't tell you of all the faith-building conversations that I've, I've had with people over the years because most of those are confidential. I can't share that with you. But you can look around. God is at work in this place, and it's amazing. I wish you could see what I am privileged to see how God works in the lives of you and your families. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with a question. Because of the readings, where are you in your giving? Knowing all that you have, all that God has blessed you with, are you happy with what you are giving back to him so that others just like yourself and others who are not at all like you 
can be saved and live forever. If you are not happy with what you are giving, then why don't you try and step out in faith? Show God that you're serious about what he has says about the support of his work. And I would suggest for you to work from a percentage. Look at what your household income is in a year and then take a percentage of that and give it back to God. That's how I started many, many years ago. That's how people for thousands of years worshipped God by giving. He'd give them a hundred cattle. They would give ten, ten back to him. So, if you look at your household income and you gave one percent of your income, try increasing that the following year. Make it two percent. The little steps to get where you want to be to the Old Testament model of tithing 10%. And who knows, maybe God can take you beyond that. There are different ways you can give. You can put cash or check in an offering envelope. You can use the PAR program, pre-authorized remittance. 75 families in our church give that way now. You never miss an offering. You can go online to our website now and give using a credit card. There's lots of ways to give, but what is important is that you give regularly, generously, and as God has blessed you, which of course means cheerfully. You are giving to Jesus. You are giving to Jesus. Once a little boy gave Jesus his lunch, and Jesus fed 5,000 people with it. You never know what God is going to do with your offering. Now, I hope you hear this from a pastor who loves you. And as I speak on behalf of the other leaders of the church, please, please pray for your church. Things are going well in some regards, but there's also some growing and there's some maturing that we have to do. A course correction, if you will, before we hit a crisis. We live in a day and age and society where everything is a consumable good. Everything we eat, everything we use, every activity we participate in, your kids' piano lessons, your Starbucks coffee, your haircut, your time at the gym, everything is a consumable good. And I get that. But not your church and not your God. God is not a consumable good, and dare we treat him like that? So if you look at your church and wonder, am I really getting value for my offering? Then you're not giving an offering. You are giving a dues. You are giving a membership fee. And maybe, and just maybe, that was the problem with the many rich in the gospel lesson who put in their large amounts. Maybe their attitude was, there, I paid my dues. Now at least I can sleep at night. Heaven forbid we should treat our God as a consumable good. Giving an offering to God is an act of worship, an act of humble submission to the God who made us and saved us and daily and eternally provides for all of our needs. So although the offering may seem like a small part of the service, 
It is. And we have a God who likes to use the little things. And boy, is that ever comforting. It's the small things that God can and will use to do great things. Please bow your heads in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, if I have ever looked at my offering to you as just another bill to pay for services rendered, please, please forgive me. Teach me to trust you for everything, even the basic and necessary needs of life. Wow, you have blessed me. Just like the poor widow gave everything she had, you have blessed me with so much and I cannot thank you enough. I give my life to you. Help me to live it according to your will and help me to manage it to your glory so that I can do good for the people you have placed in my life and for those you will be placing in my life. I want to live my life to your glory because of all that you've done for me. I want to give to the cause of bringing others into a relationship with you. You want every one of your rebellious children in heaven with you. I get that. And you have given the church, of whom I am an unworthy member, you have given the church the task, the local church the task, of bringing the gospel to the world. Before I spend any of my income on my life and my needs, or even the needs of my family, I want you to have this token, this offering, so that by it and by your power, others might know the joy and love and peace that I know, having my sins forgiven, having a place in heaven assured, and waiting for me. So, dear God, take my offering and use it. And guide my church to use my offering and manage it according to your good and gracious will. This is all we can ask in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. <laughs>